0: Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. We are so glad you're here. For more content and upcoming events, visit anchorchurchcsra.com. All right, well, we are rounding the final turn of our Ephesians series, and I'm just so excited to be jumping into Ephesians 6 with you guys today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 6, or if you don't have a copy of God's Word on you, that's okay, we'll have it on the screens here, whether you're turning virtually or paperback. I hear some pages turning. That kind of makes my heart happy a little bit. I'm a little, I'm a little impartial to the pages. I'm a little old school in that way. But hey, Ephesians 6, we are diving into the topic of obedience today. And I know that that's not always something that we love talking about as it relates to God and as it relates to really life. Because if we're really honest at our core, way down deep in there in some really dark places, We don't always love to submit or obey authority, right? In fact, I know every single one of us, the case with our childhood is that no one had to teach us how to disobey. That we were always predispositioned towards disobedience, towards walking the opposite direction of what we were told but then we had parents, or we had uncles or aunts or grandmas, or whatever your family situation was like, you were likely raised by someone that tried to help you with that, they said, "Hey, actually, if you obey, it goes really well with you. And if you disobey, there are consequences. In fact, there are consequences for everything that we do, whether good or bad. And we get to kind of pick what those consequences are going to be. Are, are, are you going to do good things for good results? you can do bad things for bad results? And so. Today in Ephesians 6, we're talking about obedience and really the idea, the, really the title of today's sermon is this right here. Ready for it? It's coming. Here we go. Slide number two. I'm ready. Here we go. All right. I'll get ahead of it a little bit. Obedience brings blessing or the blessing of obedience. There it is. There we go. All right. So the blessing of obedience, the first nine verses there, uh, we're, we're going to dive straight into this. And really there's several insights we're going to talk about with obedience, but the first one is this. Ready? So if you're a note taker, you, you want to write this down. Obedience brings about the blessings of what kind of promise? A wonderful one. Yeah, not, not just any promise, a wonderful promise. This promise is really, really good, okay? And it's found in the Bible. So we're going to open our Bibles and talk about that. Ephesians chapter six, one through four. So let's, let's go ahead and go there now and let's read verses one to three. We're just going to deal with the first three verses right now in Ephesians chapter six. And verse one says this. I've totally bookmarked this and I like to read out of my paper copy and it has a mind of its own sometimes. Also known as I thought I did it and I didn't do it. So, all right. I just blame it on whatever. So here we go. Children, ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And all the parents in the room said? Amen. Amen. All right. This is, this is your favorite verse right now. And this is an easy one to teach our kids, to be honest. And not, not in some kind of snarky uh, kind of way, like, hey, Ephesians 6, 1, get it together kind of a thing. But just honestly with our kids go, hey, hey, kiddos, look here. This is a really easy verse to memorize. God's word literally says it's a good idea for you to obey me. But it's not just that we teach them to obey. We teach them how to obey and why and different things like that. So let's go on here. Obey your parents and the Lord. We get the rationale here. Ready for it? Because this is right. And really anything in God's word could have that attached to it. Hey, here's the imperative. Here's God's design for you. Do this because... This is right. It wouldn't be in God's word if it wasn't right. But here we have that explicitly listed for us because this is such a core human thing that we encounter, especially as children. So here's the first just major insight. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but I just want to go ahead and touch on it because it's the right time to do it. Obedience must be taught. And I think sometimes as parents, many of you in the room are parents, I'm a parent as well. We think that our kids will just figure it out. We think that if I just put them in the right environment, if I structure the right environment for them, if I, if I manage their influences, and, and we should do those things. I'm not saying those are bad ideas, but we rely on those things to the max to where we release intentionality. We're intentional how we set up those environments, those situations, but then we kind of take the hands off and see how it plays out. Because we're afraid if we step in too much. Parents of teenagers, here we go. We're afraid if we jump in there too far that we'll do what? That we'll push them away. And that happens sometimes. And, 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 and there are some not good results with that sometimes. But I can assure you it's not because a parent was too intentional, okay? There's, there's a right way to do this, and we're going to unpack some of that this morning. We're not going to unpack the whole card. I wish we could spend a whole series on it, and maybe, maybe we'll do a whole series on it in the future. But children, this, this command's for you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. This is for children. This is for teenagers. If you are 18 and older and you've, you've gone on to, to start adulting, as it's called, that's actually a verb now that's used a lot usually in a negative context, but, you know, like I'm tired of adulting or whatever, and all, all of us feel that way sometimes. Um, this is for children that are still in the home of their parents. So if you are older, if you are adulting, as it's called now, um, obedience is not required of you anymore, but honor is. We honor our father and mother, but you can't, if, if you're 26 and in the room, if Mom and dad says, no, you're going to do this. No, the relationship's changed at this point. You are an adult now. Uh, there, there, there is something in our culture called delayed adolescence. That's a legit thing. I don't know how many of you have read up on this. Have, has anybody heard of that in the room? Delayed adolescence. It's actually, if you're, if you're new to this, I'll, I'll give you the thumbnail and you can go research it on your own. But actually saying the average age for things you used to do as an 18, 19 year old, or even as a 17, 18 year old, maybe like 50, 60 years ago, the average age now is more like 28 to 30. The average age to get married is right around 30. To have kids, right around 30. To buy a house or to buy cars or different things like that, it's usually later 20s. To live at home with your parents, usually late into your 20s and 30s. And used to be you go out on your own pretty early on. And there are lots of reasons for that. Now, why did I get into that? Because I'm encouraging those of us that are parents today to take a fresh look at especially those of you parenting in, uh, kids in their 20s and, and, and who have gone on to be young adults, to um, parents not, not to overstep, but parents also not to completely relinquish your role and duty as mom and dad. It doesn't mean that you're not a part of their life anymore. It doesn't mean that you have no voice in their life, and it's easy to feel that way. So I'm, so, so, so I'm here to encourage those of you that are parenting young adults you still have a voice in their life. You really do. Your voice is powerful. In fact, they need your voice, but your role is limited in a way that it used to not be. And that can be hard. And we understand that. But if you're parenting children and teenagers, you are in a special, unique, God-given season to be extra-intentional, and yes, to even exercise some decision-making skills for them, and then to slowly and slowly give them more and more arena of choice. Does that make sense? Over time, we give them a little more fruit. We give them safe spaces to make mistakes. That's, the, the, that's all the good parents I know that I'm going, hey, how, how'd you do it? And your kids are, kids are amazing, and you're an awesome parent. How'd you, how'd you do it? And many of them say to me, hey, I actually I actually allowed my kids to fail, but in safe spaces. And I was there for them when they did, and we learned from it. Because we all know that failure is not really failure ultimately. Failure is an opportunity to learn. We don't seek it out, but it's gonna happen. All right, so let's dig back into the text. Children, obey your parents and the Lord because this is right. We're supposed to honor your father and mother, is quoting the Ten Commandments. Okay, Paul's going to take us back to the Old Testament a lot. He's going to pull from Deuteronomy a lot. There's a lot of New Testament, I forget the percentage, it's very high, uh, that quotes the Old Testament. And so if we don't know the Old Testament, it can be really challenging to understand the New Testament, which is why in future book studies at Anchor, we're going to study the Old Testament some, and it's going to be great. I love the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a, what's that next word? Promise. There's the promise we're talking about. So this is, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you knew that, but honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment in the Bible with a promise, and this throws back all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Genesis in Deuteronomy. We, we, we won't read all those verses, but really we're going to go to Deuteronomy 5.16 here, which just essentially is what, what we just read. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you so that you may have a long life in the land. So obedience brings blessing. Now, do we obey just to get blessed? No, we obey because we love, because there's honor. We've already covered that, but we, can, but we can twist that too. And Satan can be really crafty in how he gets us to do that, right? Because if you're a parent in the room, you know that sometimes our kids don't obey for the right reason. They obey maybe to avoid punishment. They don't yet get why that's a good idea. And sometimes they don't need to. Some, sometimes they just need to, you know, like don't, don't cross that road. Well, they don't, they don't need to understand fully all the dangers just to not do that. We need to teach them safety, danger, things like that. But then other things we're going to help them understand as we go along. We're going to help them little by little as is age appropriate. We're going to dump all the reasons on a six-year-old why they need to obey because they're only going to hear maybe the first couple words and then tune you out anyway. But over time, we're going to make it abundantly clear. Hey, not only that you obey, but how you obey, why you obey. And here's the why. You're going to be blessed. It's going to go well with you. We say this a lot in our house. (laughs) Son, obey what I'm saying. Listen to me. I love you. I know more than you do. And I want to help you. I've made some of the same mistakes. I, listen, it's going to go well with you if you listen to me. And I remind my kids all the time, hey, daddy's not perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying I have it all figured out, but I have figured out some things and I really want to help you with those things. And then let's learn the rest together. And so our first key insight, again, just, just, just so we're all still tracking here. Obedience brings about blessings of a wonderful promise. And in the Lord, for this is right. Remember that part of the verse? Again, God has given us a blueprint in his word. This is important for us to really grasp today. Do you really believe that about God's word? That's what I would ask you this morning, thought-provoking question. Do I believe that when I open this book, this is a question to ask yourself, do I, do I believe when I open the Bible, this isn't just full of tweetable phrases or just life hacks or some really pragmatic tips for our life that would uh, better yourself? We're, we're really obsessed with that as a culture right now uh, to, you know, just, just self-improvement for self-improvement's sake because we're a very uh, independent society. Is it just that or is it that God has spoken and he's actually given us a blueprint for life in, in I mean, in all 66 books, in the, in the whole canon of scripture? And I hope and pray that you'll see it as a blueprint for this is right because when we read God's word, it, it, it leaves no room for compromise, it leaves no room for, um, in even if we don't like the blueprint sometimes. I mean, let's just be honest. We, we come to some verses in the Bible and we get confused. Maybe sometimes you get angry. Think about when you were kids and your parents told you to do something. Did you like everything that they told you to do? No, I didn't either. But was it right? Did they teach you? Good? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They taught you right things. They wanted you to do right, things, but you didn't understand at the time. And that's how we can be with the Lord. We, we don't always know what, God, why do you want me to do that? And sometimes it doesn't matter why, we just do it anyway until he reveals to us the why or, or until we submit ourselves to try to understand the why. Because sometimes we don't care why, right? We, we, we have to help ourselves, almost force ourselves sometimes to care more about the why. All right, let's do our second insight this morning. This one's really good. All right, and here's a little math equation. I wasn't really great at math, but this is just two components, so I could hang with it. All right, so, uh, so real quick, number two, self-controlled... Self-controlled discipline plus intentional instruction. Those, those are two components. Self-controlled discipline plus intentional instruction will bring about nourishment in your children. So let's talk about these two components. Let's just read verse four together. Fathers, all right, so we went from children and, yes, Even in the father's statement, just like in the husband's and in the wives' portion of the household code of Ephesians, this doesn't just apply to fathers, but in God's blueprint, he is calling out dads to lead their families. So, dads, lean into this this morning. Fathers, it is your role to lead your family spiritually, it is your divine given role. Lean into that this morning, and let's listen to what God says here in verse 4. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So like the husband's responsibility, last week we looked at this in Ephesians 5, to lead and love sacrificially in the marriage. This passage is about a child's obedience, and it's a really critical challenge to all parents everywhere, like we said, whether, whether you're dad or not. So, all parents everywhere about the responsibility to, again, teach your children obedience. It is our responsibility to do that. Sure, they're commanded to obey, but how will they know if, if we do not teach them? So what teaches them to obey? Well, the first thing you can jot down, just a little practical platitude for us, a parent's discipline for a child teaches them to obey. Discipline your child, my, chi- my, my children will not learn to obey without discipline. It won't happen. It's not fun. I tell my children that all the time. It is not, daddy does not enjoy disciplining you all the time. I enjoy the purpose of it and I love you. And I, and so I make those very clear and your small children can understand this. If you'll, if you'll, um, separate that for them. Hey, I don't like, like I, would, I would rather us not have to do this, but this is something that is good for you. And even though uh, there's, there's a verse in Hebrews, and there's a verse in the Old Testament that goes with it and essentially says this, it's from the Lord. It says, those I love, I reprove. This is, this is a God quote from the Bible. God says, those who I correct and I love, actually my correction and my love, my discipline for you, it's proof that I love you. And we'll say this often to our kids in our house. We'll say something like, if I didn't love you, then I wouldn't care. I would just let you do whatever you wanna do. So the fact that I'm getting on to you for that, it actually is because I love you. And parents, we have to remind our kids of this, because what, what is the child going to automatically feel in that moment? Mom doesn't like me anymore. Dad doesn't like, and, and our children have helped us know this. Daddy, I don't, I don't feel like you like me very much when you have to discipline me in this way or that way. And I go, I don't just like you, I love you, and I love you enough to do that. And I grew up in a household where I wasn't always disciplined in the correct way. I was given a little too much freedom. And so I'd kind of shared, as as is age appropriate, that experience with them. And it helps them understand the why of the discipline. And so we have the self-controlled discipline piece. So what is the Bible really saying here? Well, before we get there, let's, let's, let's do one more quick one. Disobedience must be punished. Disobedience must be punished for obedience to be learned. How many of you have heard the term lazy parenting? Anybody? Lazy parenting. It takes form in really more than two, but we're gonna do two sides of the continuum. You ready? The first one is total hands-off, free range, right? Free free range parenting, hey, they'll figure it out. I just kind of set it up earlier. Hey, we'll set these environments up for them. And it's kind of like an ant farm. You know, you just kind of buy the terrarium, you get all the ants, just kind of get them in there. You just kind of watch them do their thing or not. (laughs) <laughs> you totally forget about it and they'll be all right. So that's the totally hands-off approach. Really bad idea. Really bad idea. I think we've all seen that not work out in a lot of different ways. And I have a feeling many of you are probably not in that boat. Here's the one we probably struggle with a little more. So you got free range parenting. And then on this side, what sound am I making? Thank you. Oh, I'm glad I could do a decent helicopter impression. I was a little worried. Uh, <laughs> like, what's he doing? Helicopter parenting. This is, this is absolutely detrimental to a, to a home. And if you're a helicopter parent here today, I'm not here to beat you up. I'm just here to lovingly challenge you in something today. Helicopter parenting is overly critical and hovers their children at all times. Helicopter parents usually follow their children from room to room, from space to space, um, helicopter parents usually cannot leave their kids alone for a second. And I get it, kids are destructive. Mine are too, believe me. <laughs> They're very destructive. Holes in walls, broken things, drop-kicking tower fans. I mean, like nothing's off off limits in our as far as like what can break. But there is, there is an overemphasis on watching our children and, and trying to care for them, but going a little overboard, way over here. And it usually shows up in that way of, Remember the verse, verse four here. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to anger, maybe your translation says. This means that sometimes we can be so hands-on, so helicopter-y, if that's an adjective, that we actually provoke them to anger. And you know what children do when they get angry or when they, get, uh, when they feel like they need love or attention? Have we figured this out yet, Parents? They act out. They act out, right? This is how it looks for me. I'm just sharing our experience. Bedtime is either my favorite time of the day or my least favorite time of the day. Can I, can, can I get an amen from somebody? All right, yeah, okay, cool, all right. Man, it can be really tough sometimes. Nine times out of 10, and I'm so forgetful of this, guys. I'm just being transparent with you this morning. I'm so forgetful about this, but it's so true. And God always reminds me of this in the moment usually when it doesn't go well, usually when they're getting up and they're getting back up and they're getting back up. If I really look at my calendar, if I really look at the evening, it's usually when I've spent the least amount of time with them. It's usually when I did not invest enough on the front end for their cup to be full. And then that left them feeling satisfied and at peace. Now we all live busy schedules i know every, not a single one of us in here would say well i'm not i'm not busy i mean i bet all of us in here would be like i'm good but i'm busy we we probably all say that and so we get busy it doesn't it's not always clean but we don't always have a bath Sorry, it just doesn't always happen, right? right right, parents? We don't always have the bath. We, we don't always read the Bible before bed or pray together or whatever. You know, like some, sometimes you're just in survival mode and you just gotta get him home safely and get him in bed. And, and there, there are those times. But I will just encourage us with this, um, to in those moments, remember that when, when that acting out is happening, that when children act out, there is usually a reason that we, can, that we can discover as to why that's happening. Yes, sometimes the reason is they're kids and they disobey. <laughs> they just need to be taught obedience. There are those times too, especially in my home. But other times, it's simply that we can just spend more time with them throughout the evening or maybe try to structure our evenings. Maybe some of us in the room as parents, maybe you're a little more laid back and you don't, you don't have a schedule or, or there's not a desired routine yet. I would encourage you to set that up. Children desperately need routine. And here we go. This one's going to sh- shock some of us in here, but uh, others of us are going to nod our heads. Teenagers need that same routine. We want them to grow up. We want them to, to grow up and make their own choices in certain ways and, and not, not, not remain a small child and not overly manipulated or controlled, but they still need the structure, parents. Youth parents in the room. So. Think about that. Talk about it with them. Set, set those rhythms and boundaries together. That'll, that'll create more ownership in that process. But let's get back to how we discipline. Again, overly critical, unkind parenting will destroy your child's spirit. It will absolutely crush them. You know what's recommended in most childhood psychology circles? Sorry, I went to school for education, so it's something that was beat into it's a pretty good bit. Um, so, I, so I am a teacher at heart. Those of you teachers in the room, I really appreciate you. Uh, there are several of you out here. They usually recommend that for every one criticism, hopefully it's constructive, that you're correcting them. For every one correction, there are at least four praises to accompany it. You have praised them over and over and over and over again, and then the correction comes. Now, That doesn't mean you're literally counting, and if you're on three and they do something that needs correcting, you wait until you do the fourth one. This is just a general guideline to kind of help us and go, hey, we should should be heavily weighted on the affirmation side of things rather than the criticism side of things. And if we're not, usually if we're honest and I can be just as guilty of this, it's usually backwards, okay? Well, if they didn't just do so many things that need correction, I wouldn't need to correct them, you know, if they would just obey a little more. I know, I get it. But we got to flip it back around and go, am I encouraging them? Am I I finding, not, not flattery, not, not like, oh, hey, I love the way that you walk that way. I mean, maybe sometimes they are actually walking instead of running, and you need to affirm that. But it's not random. It's like actually noticing what they're, hey, I love the way that you put up that toy. Instead of just, or hey, I love, man, when you threw away that trash, man, that shows me you're a big boy. Awesome job. It just stuff like that. It builds them up. This is, this is why um, another little tip, life hack, parenting thing. This is why parenting other people's children, it takes a village, Right? So sometimes we do have to kind of help. But this is, why sometimes, this is why I would really encourage us to be very careful about that because chances are um, you'll, you'll have a moment to correct someone else's child. And we've seen this many times on play dates and stuff like that. Like someone will step in to correct our children or, or, or I'll see something. But, but then I'll be reminded, oh, but I haven't had the opportunity to praise them for things. And so what happens in that case is they'll see you as just this bad guy waiting to get them. And that's also not good. And so praise and correct, uh, also offer that same praise to other children as well. Those of you that are teachers, this also works in the classroom. I know many of you are like nodding your heads and you already know this, but, but like praise for the win because none of, us, um, none of us have too much encouragement in our life probably. <laughs> we, we all say, yes, sign me up for more encouragement. And so let's give it to others as well. We can be firm without being harsh, amen? You can be firm with a child without being harsh. Firm. Here's what firm does. Firm stands your ground, commits to the principles, is consistent. Children need consistency from us, fathers, mothers. They need consistency from us. Harsh parenting values obedience above all else. It's obedience or nothing. And obedience divorced from love is is not a god obedience. Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Remember, he said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So obedience is always connected to love. Let's teach our children that, and then let's show them that love. Let's praise them when they do well. There's three imperatives here. The first is to nourish. Look back at verse four. Look back at verse four. Don't stir up the anger in your children, but bring them up. This Greek phrase literally means, uh, it's a... It's a um, it's a phrase for, for nourishment, care, provision. It was actually a term that was used for, for the body, you know, like, a, like an invigorating revitalization of the human body. So that's what the Greek word would kind of, that's the flavor that it would have. And so we provide nourishment, care to strengthen our children. This isn't just giving them Flintstone vitamins. This is like teaching them, teaching them the good stuff and loving them and affirming them and all the things we just said, okay? So we nourish them. We also train them, bring them up in the training. And so what does the training mean? It means, well, okay, let's just, let's just uh, because some of you aren't parents yet, you're, you're future parents. How many of you have a dog? Okay, there's a lot in common with having a puppy and having a child. They're not the same thing, okay? We're not saying they're exactly the same thing, but it is a great way because puppies or dogs need training. They really do. They really do. And it's hard. How many of you have ever crate trained a dog before? Whoo, man. What, what does a puppy sound like the first time you put him in that crate? Oh my goodness, whining and just that shrill puppy thing that pierces through walls and breaks glass in the next building over. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's insane. It takes time. It takes training. It takes patience. Um, remember what I said earlier about lazy parenting? Lazy parenting, uh, Unfortunately, looks at training and does one of two things: either neglects it altogether, or this side jumps sometimes even straight to aggressive forms of discipline, uh, or I would say, you know, more extreme forms of discipline, such as spanking. Now, we're not going to get into whether you should spank or not spank. My goodness, everybody leave mad and angry and all that stuff. But what I, what I'm saying is that sometimes. For, for those of us in the room who really struggle with this, we're just, we're just being honest this morning. Hey, I'm gonna be the first one to stand up here. Sometimes I feel like spanking my children. Like strike one, you're, you're getting spanked. I'm just done with you. I've, I've, I feel that way some days. That's, that's not right. I'm gonna love every one of us in the room enough and remind myself today and love us all enough to say that's not right. We don't spank on strike one. That's also lazy parenting, to jump straight to a whack. Okay, because you don't have to correct them. You don't have to sit and talk with them. You don't have to remind them at that point. You, you just give them a pop and it's done. And it's very ineffective. And so every, every child's different. I'm not gonna get into all that, but just take the time to, to learn everything you can about your child and to discover what works for this child may not work for this child, may not work for this child. And we have three, so we're going through that right now. Uh, the same strategies don't work with every one of them. So we're getting into how we discipline. Praising them, nourishing, training them, and then finally instructing them. Instructing them. This this is friends, this is the Bible. The Bible must 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 be open in our homes. Let's pull them off our bookshelf. Sometimes, sometimes I'll just take a Bible and I just set it down and it's open. And guess what happens at some point? Kids kind of run, oh yeah, well, hey, I can read this and pick it up when we read it yes, bedtime's good. Um, I'll give you another hack that we've kind of figured out. The dinner table has become, is not only important, period. There's lots of stats on that, lots of research. But the dinner table is usually the best time for, for me to lead my family in that way. It's, it, we're all seated. <laughs> we're all facing each other. Any other time we've tried, it has been almost a royal disaster every time. Uh, before school. We also, you know, they get their breakfast, they'll go sit on the couch, and we will, um, and we actually do like a video-driven kind of thing. We, we have a little subscription that we use. If you want some of those tools, if you're interested in what we do, that kind of thing, I'd love to share that with you after the sermon. But we gotta bring them up. We gotta train them. We gotta instruct them in God's word. Dads, this is your primary responsibility. It is. Moms, yes, it's your responsibility too. But the Bible clearly calls out fathers to lead in this way. And then, yes, it it is a partnership. All right, so let's go on to our final insight for today. And we're gonna bring it home with this. Obedience is ultimately for Christ and not for man. Obedience is ultimately for Jesus Christ and not for man. The the passages we're about to read have been very controversial and remain controversial. I'm going to preface this section by telling you, (coughs) excuse me, this section is not actually about slavery at all. You're, you're going to see the very first word is slaves in, in this passage. But this section is not about slavery. And in fact, I, I have to tell you this because we have to look at historical context to really understand the Bible. We're going to make a statement right out front. Slavery is wrong. Slavery is wrong, okay? No one's excusing slavery here today. No one's making... Um, Any any kind of excuse for that. What I am doing is I am showing you how slavery in this context was different than the slavery we learned about in history class. Chattel slavery in North American continent with the slave trade and all of that, and the Civil War times and emancipation, all that all that kind of stuff. Totally different. And here's how. First of all, there were 60 million slaves in, in the Roman Empire. That's a lot of slaves. Slavery was common. And there were many instances where the slavery was, un, where it was, was especially despicable. But in most cases, slavery was much different in this way. Slavery was not a difference in social class. It was not. And oftentimes in this first century context, there would be a level ground in social class with a slave and a master. Or as some of your translations may say, bondservant. Because that was actually more likely. See, we hear slave and we get, rightly, uh, triggered, to use a a modern term now. You know, it initially triggers horrors and terrible things that we should. I mean, I'm not not saying it shouldn't be that way. But here, this is really more like a bond-servant relationship. Many people voluntarily, and actually most of the time would voluntarily enter into a bond servant relationship because this was a way that they could sell themselves into this slavery to obtain Roman citizenship. They would actually, this would be advantageous for them. Many slaves were CEOs. Many slaves in this context had slaves of their own. Again, this is totally different than what we might normally think of when we think of slavery. So I have to start with that. It doesn't excuse anything, but it is different. And we must look at scripture through the historical context. So by further explaining this this morning, I will remind us that this passage really isn't about slavery. It's about how we live in the reality of the culture and world that we live in. And here's the deal. This was the opportunity, if there was a clear opportunity, many people ask, why didn't Paul say outright, slavery's wrong here? Because it wasn't the agenda of Ephesians. It was, slavery was widespread and, and, and the letter of Ephesians was not going to eradicate slavery. But what the gospel does, the gospel itself undermines slavery. What Paul has already talked about in Ephesians the breaking down of that wall, no longer Jew and Gentile. And he even says in Galatians, slave or free, male or female, he breaks down these distinctions and says, we're all one in Christ. He's already decried slavery, just maybe not in the terms that we sometimes want him to. And the Bible doesn't always say what we want it to. It doesn't always put it in the words that we say, but we trust that God gave us the right words, gave us the words that we need. And so What really is highlighted in this passage, this is going to help so many of us this morning, we're going from parenting relationships and we're going into the work relationships because this is an employer-employee relationship that we're introduced to in scripture. And here's the encouragement this morning. Ready, you can write this down. Let your work ethic flow from a devotion to Christ and not mere work expectations. So in a working relationship, maybe you're finding yourself in a job right now that you hate. Okay, we've all been there. I don't know if it's the current job you're in. I don't know if you can just think of one in the past and you just didn't, you didn't enjoy it at all. No matter what your situation is, no matter what your work is right now, we can do our work unto Christ and not as unto man. Let's read the passage here. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling and in the sincerity of your heart, here it is, in the sincerity of your heart, as you would Christ. So there's a sincerity of heart. That phrase in the Greek means a singleness of mind. It means that you're focused on the main thing. What is the main thing in all of our work? We view our work as worship, not unto man, but unto God. And there are many times where I've worked under some really, really, really not nice bosses. I was cussed at, I was treated less than human. I mean, really, uh, just... um, Especially one restaurant I worked in, man, it was it was rough. But God helped me see that the way that you work, the ethic that you work with, can actually worship. Like you can worship God through that and make it not about really about that boss or or that person that's treating you, mistreating you actually. But you can make it about your Master in heaven, your God. God, this is for you. It's not. It's not for them. It's not ultimately for this company. On paper, maybe it is. But in my heart and sincerity of heart, it is for Christ. And so let's let our work ethic, how we work, flow to a devotion to Christ. Also, this one right here, uh, verse, verse six. Let's, let's move on here. Don't work only while being watched. I mean, I've seen this a lot in my kids, right? You ask them to do something and <laughs> you, know, you turn your back for a second and they're off doing something else. Um, it's, it's really tempting sometimes in a, in a job you don't like to... Maybe work less hard. Maybe slow it down a little bit. But again, our work ethic is unto Christ. And here's the next insight this morning. This is one of our final ones this morning. Our our attitude, our attitude of heart above actions, reveal our heart and labor. So what does verse seven say? Serve with a good attitude. As to who? As to the Lord and not to people. So we live in an audience of one mentality. Everything is to him. Yes, we wanna bless others. Yes, we wanna fulfill our obligations. Yes, we wanna be loyal to whatever your work situation is. No matter how much you like the job or hate the job, we we wanna commit, we wanna follow through, but ultimately it is for Christ. It is worship to him. And this can really revolutionize the way we think about work, especially work that we do not enjoy. And what does verse eight say? Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord, a.k.a. God, God's always watching. Every injustice in this world will be dealt with. That is the peace that we have. We are not in control of that. We can still make a difference. We can still battle injustice. We can still cry out. We can still decry injustice. We can still, we can still step forward as believers and proclaim the kingdom, but guys, really, Really, nothing will change this world apart from the gospel. And so that's why, first and foremost, we must not, we must not proclaim just merely a social agenda or any other kind of agenda, but, but the agenda of the Lord. And that is the gospel. The good news that Christ has come, lived the perfect life none of us sinners could live, died in our place, rose again, and if we believe in him, we will have new life and we will be in eternity with him, but also be used, used by him now. To change this world into what ultimately all of us want it to be, because I've even I've talked with atheists, agnostic, Buddhists, whoever. All of us want the world to be better, but we just disagree on how that's going to happen. And not apart from Jesus will that ever happen. It will never happen apart from a changed heart and a changed life. So, as as we round the corner of this sermon, masters think they're off the hook at this point, but they're not. They're not. God is watching and Paul reminds them here, masters, treat your slaves or bond servants the same way. Everything I just told them to do, you too. Don't you think you're off the hook? Hey, CEO, hey, boss, hey, hey leader of this organization. Hey, whoever you are in charge of other people and administration or whatever, treat them the same way, kindly, lovingly. Use your platform, to change lives in a good way, to breathe life into a room. If you're a leader in the room, that's what leaders are supposed to do. We're supposed to walk into the room and people feel good <laughs> about your presence and not to walk into a room. You've, you've been around this person before, you know, walk into the room and almost like the air, like the life is just sucked out of the room and there's just a dread. None, none, of, none of us want to be that way. We want to walk into a room and light it up and through the Holy Spirit's work in your life, that can happen. And so he says in verse nine, hey, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know both their master and yours is in heaven. And here's the great thing about God. There is no favoritism with him. There is level ground at the cross. And that's what, I, that's what we wanna end on today is that there is level ground at the cross. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter how far you are from God right now or how close you feel to God or, or what sins you've struggled with lately or in your past or It's level ground. Boss, employee, distinctions, here, there. It's level ground at the cross. We are all sinners in need of a savior. A church, like it said before, is not a a museum for us to just come and sit and collect dust. But a church is a hospital for sick people to come and find healing. And so that's what we start with this morning is, is just the reminder that we need Jesus. We, we really do need him. And how do we need him? Well, the Bible says that we've all fallen short of his standard. What is God's standard? Perfection, perfection. He, asks, he says, be holy for I'm holy. None of us have nailed that. All, all of us have failed miserably in that. But God provided a way for us to be reconciled back to him. Sin separated God and man. Man over here, God over here, great chasm in between. How can can man be right with God? Christ came. That cross, is that's why we put a cross there in the center because Jesus is central. And what he did on that cross when Jesus died on the cross for you and for you, sir, for you, ma'am, when he died on that cross, he died in your place. He shed his blood for you. Not just to fulfill a plan made a long time ago, it, it was that, but that plan was for God so love the world that he gave his one and only son. And when Jesus died, healing and reconciliation with God became possible. Let me ask you a question today. Are you personally reconciled to God? Because if you become reconciled to God, and if you are reconciled to God, what we've talked about today, this obedience, bringing about blessing is possible in your life. But if you're separated from God, that will never work. Christianity is not just a bunch of ideas that we subscribe to. It's not just philosophy where, where we say, hey, there, there are all these ideas. And if you just embrace these ideas, then it will go well with you. It's not just for us to pick and choose. It's surrender to Christ, to Jesus, Him. And guess what? He's alive. He didn't just die for you on the cross to shed His blood for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. But He, he resurrected He did that because he's God. He came as God in flesh to accomplish that. And to prove that he was who he said he was, he rose again. And he did that to also show that, guess what you have in Jesus? A, a, A new life. The old you dies, the new you is born again. And maybe someone here today needs to be born again. And it's really simple, guys. It's not easy. It's not easy to do what Jesus said, to deny yourself to surrender to him, to take up the cross and follow him. But, it's, but it is very simple. You simply acknowledge before him in this response time, just in your own way, in your own words, you just bow your head and your heart before him and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm not close to you. I don't have a relationship with you, but I want one. And you just confess to him. Say, I believe you died in my place on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you are God, that you did die in my place and that you rose again. And I'm asking you right now, Jesus, just pray to him. And, and that would just, just ask him to change your life, to change your heart. To give you a new life and a fresh start. And he'll come into your life. He'll forgive you. He'll show you his grace and mercy. And, and guess what else you'll have as well? The Holy Spirit. A power outside of yourself. The Spirit of God will come to live inside of you. And you'll have a fresh start. It happened to me 14 years ago. It was the best decision I ever made in my life maybe today's the day for you to make that decision. And I would invite you to do that today. And if you make that decision today to follow Jesus, or if you have more questions about it, maybe, maybe you just have some hangups. Man, please fill out a card and connect with us. We do not despise questions here at Anchor Church. We love questions. In fact, next week, sorry, the next next week, I'm gonna go and give you guys a heads up. We're, we're gonna have a whole series based on your questions that you have. And so we'll be communicating to you at the top of this week how you can submit those questions. You, you can ask anything you want about God, Jesus, the Bible, religion, whatever. And we're going to preach about those things over a three-week period in August. It's going to be amazing. Hey, listen, if, if you're spirit-filled this morning here and you're, and you're walking with Jesus and you just want his word to continue to shape you, mold you, then let's just pray and let's just respond in this time. Let's ask God, a special freshness of of valuing obedience, maybe even the why of obedience. God, help me see obedience as worship this morning. Help us, maybe a prayer you could pray this morning. Help me see obedience is not something that I have to do, but something I get to do. What a joyful place that would be. I get to obey God. I get to do these things he's asked me to do. It's It's not a begrudging, oh man. It's a get to. Because when you're on, team Jesus and when you're in the family of God you have a status not to flaunt but we can boast in Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he's doing now. He's saving and changing lives every single, every single Sunday morning but every single time during the week as well. And so know that I'm praying for you during this response time and I invite you to respond. All of us have a response and the next step to take. So can we stand together and can I pray for us? Uh, Lord Lord As we stand and as we respond, I ask that you would help us sing out in worship, that you would help us be reminded of the grace that you have shown us, that this is not a grace that can be earned, this is not a grace that can be merited, this is not a grace that can be purchased by us, but it was purchased by your blood on the cross. So Jesus, remind us of the gospel in this moment and may we just be overcome with joy and worship. Father, change lives in this room. May we praise, pray, and respond and sing in this time. And may we all leave change today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord during this time. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit anchorchurchcsra.com or follow us on social media at Anchor Church, C. S. R. A.